0: I think I just reached a point in my life where um, throughout high school, throughout college, I, like I said, I'd been involved in social justice ed- efforts. I'd gone to rallies around unemployment or housing or poverty or food injustice. And for me, it was like, at one point, am I going to see an issue where I cannot walk away from? And it was when I was in the school setting and I literally I saw, I felt, the, my students who I had such a personal connection with, what they were going through, and the services that our schools were not providing them, that our schools were failing them, like actually seeing that as on the school administrator side, knowing that you are part of an institution that is failing students that you care deeply about. Um, it just was not, is not, was and is not right.
1: that was Ashley Edwards talking about how the idea for Right actually all started. So before I do dive into exactly who Ashley is and what we're going to be talking about, I have to make a quick apology for all of my listeners um, for not having posted an episode in a couple of months. Um, that's been mostly because I've been really full on with exams, with uni and with a lot of other stuff going on. So I had to take a bit of a step back, but there will be more coming your way starting with this one. Um, so Ashley is the co-founder and CEO of Mind Right, which is a tech nonprofit that has the mission of empowering youth of colour to heal from trauma from systematic oppression. Um, and it's interesting to hear from Ashley's perspective uh, because the systematic oppression and, and trauma that face uh, youth in America is absolutely incredible to think about um, and really shocking as well. So being someone that's from Australia it is absolutely eye-opening and Ashley is a Forbes 30 under 30 social entrepreneur in 2018. MindRat has been recognised as one of the 30 uh, top innovations of the next century. So look, there's no need for any more introduction. Ash- Ashley has been one of the most commercially intelligent and socially aware people that I've spoken to on this podcast and I think you'll absolutely enjoy listening about how she goes about dealing with burnout how um what she's learned from running mind right so far and uh, sort of everything in between so uh, I'll just take it away from there hey Ashley it's so great to have you here um we're going to dive straight in. So why don't you just tell us who you are and for those that don't know a bit for a bit of context what sort of work you're doing right now?
0: So my name's Ashley Edwards and I'm co-founder of MindRight and MindRite is a tech nonprofit. Our mission is to empower youth of color to heal from trauma from systemic oppression. Mm. And when we say systemic oppression, we mean structural violence, poverty, racism, And what we do is really meet teens where they are by providing personalized daily mental health coaching all over text message to empower youth to heal from trauma.
1: I think that's an incredible idea, Um, particularly as, you know, a young person growing up in the world today. I think that's so important to have that sort of support. Um, Where did the idea come from for you, Ashley, uh, and for your co-founder as well?
0: Yeah. So my co-founder and I actually met at Stanford for business school. We were both enrolled in the joint MBA and master's in, ed- in education, joint degree program. Mm. And we came together because before that, we both had similar experiences where we had witnessed or experienced trauma, um, not just among the students that we had served in ed- working in education or volunteering, but also um, just witnessing, in, witnessing intergenerational trauma within our families And so for me, I can say that um, I I worked as director of operations of a charter school in Newark, New Jersey, and I had so many of my students coming to school every day, right? Days after their friends were killed, um, their families were going through the impacts of incarceration, living in a a food desert. um, And all of this was going on, and there was just no psychological support for students. And even... Today, when you look at the U.S. and mass school shootings happening so often yeah. um, ki- and kids who are living in low income um, environments and in going to these schools have compounded trauma where it, violence for them is much more frequent frequent in their neighborhoods. And there's still not enough support to actually deal with the mental health aspect of it. So for us, we just really wanted to create something that um, was daily so that we could be proactive in supporting the mental health needs of youth of color and something that really met them where they are which is why we are doing it over text message.
1: Yeah I think that's that's so great and yeah as you mentioned that idea had been built through your experience over time growing up as a a young person and hearing about stories and looking at the experiences of um, people growing up in these areas So I guess looking back for yourself, uh, yeah, whereabouts did you grow up, and what was your childhood experience like personally?
0: Yeah, I mean, I my my childhood was really good. I grew up in a privileged environment where I went to private school. Mm -hmm. Um, I went on to attend Yale University, and I just had a phenomenal education thanks to the sacrifices of my parents. Yeah, Um, and so for me, I felt like I grew up very aware of the privilege that I had and how my experience growing up was very different from my parents' experiences who had grown up in inner city neighborhoods, um, in Newark and and West Philly. And so just kind of seeing, um, seeing how fortunate I was and Mm -hmm. also knowing that it wouldn't have taken much for me to be in a different situation, right? If my parents had made different decisions or there's a different amount of luck in their lives. And so, uh, for me, The work um, in when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, I was very much focused around social justice work. When I was in college, I was president of the NAACP at Yale. And so uh, a core part of my life has always been about really critically thinking about where we are as society and what we're doing to serve people who have been disenfranchised.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, obviously, having gone through um, school system and um, ultimately going to Yale, um, by the sounds of you definitely would have been um, a really great student. And I think one thing I'm really interested to know is whether you you noticed from a young age that you had this n- real natural capacity and tendency to address things through emotional intelligence and through empathy and understanding, because that seems very much the approach that MindRight takes um, in where it's going. So, yeah, do you think that it's been, you know, having that that approach has been something um, you've noticed in yourself from a pretty young age as well?
0: Yeah, I, I really appreciate that question. I actually haven't really thought about that before. <laughs> um, but in general, I have been told that by friends that I have a, a very high EQ, mm. <laughs> and I, growing up, I was a bit more reserved, and I think. Um, when you're reserved, sometimes that enables you to be a really good listener, and yeah. so um, I think I have an ability to kind of sense what emotions are in the room and really feel them. Um, and so I think that has contributed to mind. I even my ability to to see, absorb, or understand the feelings of the, my students, right? Yeah. So, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, definitely. I know. I, I think there are. Um, a fair few people who do notice, uh, you know, people who even come from those privileged backgrounds and notice the disadvantage of people, even in communities, not so far away from them, but it's pretty rare that you see someone take action in the way that you, you have so far, what really got you, um, like over that line towards taking action rather than just seeing it as an issue, um, and not really doing much about it?
0: Yeah. Um thank you i I think I just reached a point in my life where um, throughout high school, throughout college, I like I said, I'd been involved in social justice ed- efforts. I'd gone to rallies around unemployment or housing or poverty or food injustice. And for me, it was like at one point, am I gonna see an issue where I cannot walk away from? And it was when I was in the school setting, and I literally I saw, I felt the, my students who I had such a personal connection with, what they were going through and the services that our schools were not providing them, that our schools were failing them. Like actually seeing that as on the school administrator side, knowing that you are part of an institution that is failing students that you care deeply about. Yeah. Um, it just was not, is not, was and is not right. And I think I just got to um, I, I could not walk away from that. I could not continue my life as usual after that ex- that experience mm-hmm. of working in that environment. And um, I was very angry. And I think, I mean, I still have that anger. And I think that anger actually has really helped to propel me and to help to consume me with this energy, t- or transforming it into this positive energy to do something about the problems that I see. Yeah. And so I think I, I credit that with actually a lot of the start of my entry into this work.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think for someone like myself and a lot of people listening in who um generally are around Australia, we don't really you know, we haven't had these large scale um issues of gun violence um for for many years since uh we had a lot of policy change around that area. But just for I guess for a lot of us to be able to understand the perspective that um, you're coming from, and the people, the young people that MindRight is aimed at helping, might be coming from. How prominent is, are the situations of trauma in young people, and I guess how common is the extent of that being um, something like losing a family member to gun violence? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So to put it in contact in context. Um there is a study re- released that that estimated that 1 in 4 inner city youth in the US witness a murder before they turn 17 years old. So that's yeah, like wow. 1 in 4. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then beyond that, the Center for Disease Control estimated that 1 in 3 inner city youth in the US are estimated to have PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And that's just from living in the house they grew up in, just from living in in their zip code in their neighborhood. And so, um, and the U.S. has actually a higher rate for PTSD than soldiers coming back from war. And those are kids who have not signed up for war. Yeah, um, they're just growing up poor. So um, that's kind of what's going on in the U.S.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I, I'd very much assume as well if if that's the case, there is also quite a lack of awareness that, you know, witnessing these sort of things actually does I- impact um, in such a, a really big way. I I feel like a lot of people would just carry on with their with their lives, um, but having this the impact on them quite subconsciously. Um, I guess yeah. What's how important is it, and and how can young people in particular be a bit more self aware of themselves, and also aware of the the other people around them who might be going through something traumatic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing is just really just checking in on people you love and really creating space to for people to feel like they can express themselves without any judgment. Yeah. That's one of the things that we see with Mind right, is that so many people are holding on to feelings and thoughts that they have never shared with anyone else because they don't feel like they have a safe space. They feel like they'll be judged. And so if you can create that space where people can really honestly feel like they can open up and unload and stop bottling all these things inside I think we would have a much safer um like happier space Mm. that we are all living in Mm.
1: yeah definitely and in terms of you know having um yeah I guess having witnessed you know a lot of people as you mentioned um going through these sort of traumatic events um what are some of the things not having an outlet um i guess as you mentioned one of them can be just not being aware uh about the impact of the the trauma that you're experiencing but yeah what what does not having an outlet to actually express your feelings and your emotions uh and share them what sort of impact might that have on someone
0: yeah um well i'd say first um in the neighborhoods that we serve, violence is very often normalized mm. um, because it happens so frequently, and it just has become the status quo in these communities. And so that's kind of step one—that's yeah. of what's going on right now: the normalization of it all. Yeah. Um, but too, when you've been through that so much, a lot of what we hear from our students are, you know, I don't have any feelings anymore. Mm. Like I don't—I don't have feelings. I'm just numb, and that is also just a symptom of trauma. Um, Our students also feel like they can't trust anyone because after... um, I like to describe trauma and witnessing it. Um, When you witness trauma, it's like witnessing a failure of humanity. And... Mm. When you've been failed by humanity so many times, there's only so there's only so much you, you'll let yourself open up, or let yourself hope, or believe that something different is possible. And so some yeah. of your kids are in that spot right now, where it's just very hard for them to envision a different life, which is very sad. And so that should not be the way it is. And I and I think um, even the phrase trauma and calling it trauma is something that doesn't really happen a lot because again it's normalized and so it's not a traumatic event it's just you know my friend just got shot that's that's what happened um and I'm not dealing with mental health challenges I'm just tired or I'm just not having a good day so there's a lack of naming around these things as well which makes it harder to address the root of the the problem Mm,
1: yeah definitely and what about so mind right is Addressing this issue through um, text messaging and really checking in with people on a daily basis and making sure that they've got that um, interaction and, and that outlet as well at the same time every day. Uh, what are some of the other things that that you'd like to see, I guess, happening um, around mental health and um, addressing the the issue of trauma in in young people, particularly young people of color?
0: Mm. So I think, well, we, we approach this through the perspective of supporting schools to serve youth of color better. Mm-hmm. And one of the first steps in that is really understanding that you need to give youth of color the um, authority to yeah. have self-determination over their own needs and ones. And so, so listen to youth of color, right? And yeah. so part of what we do is um because we talk to students every day we're able to have sort of this data and analytics on what um like how how youth of color are actually feeling what they're actually talking about what support strategies and coping strategies work best for them yeah and so we're able to sh- to share that information with schools and let them know you know look most of your kids are not happy yeah. most of your kids are have are ta- are having questions about sexual health, or your kids are all talking about a shooting that happened last week. You guys should really create space so that they can express themselves when it comes to that. So I think, yeah, just really giving the lead to the students and and just listening and showing, because you have to make them believe believe that you really do care. So um, yeah, just really giving the power to them.
1: Mm, And how do you personalize the support for individual students who might come from backgrounds with, you know, a lot of conflicting social identities, for example, or a lot of, yeah, a lot of different backgrounds. How do you make sure that um, you're providing support for people in every sort of situation?
0: Yeah. So we have a pretty rigorous coach. We call our volunteers coaches coach selection, selection process. So Mm. Our coaches go through about 20 hours of training that includes background checks, a lot of vetting, role plays where they give them, we give them different student situations. We also do exercises to help coaches unpack their own personal biases. Um, And a lot of the training is also led by our own students who, you know, can really say for themselves what type of person they want working with them. But in, in terms of, um, you know, overlapping social identities, just understanding the intersectionality of all the work that we do. Um, mm-hmm. It's really important to us that our coaches, you know, reflect the communities that we serve. So, about eighty percent of our coaches are people of color. Um, so we are we are immigrants. Yeah. We are dreamers. Um, you know, um, yeah. we are part of the LGBTQ com- community. So. Um, our coaches can directly relate to the experiences of our students, and not all of them. But there, there is probably at least yeah. one coach who has been through something that a student can relate to, and we can do our best to connect them to that person.
1: Hmm. No, definitely. That sounds that sounds great. And yeah, I think it's pretty clear that the work that you're doing and um, the purpose and the vision that's driving you is really important and really great. And I'd love to know for you. Ashley, what's some of the most fulfilling parts about um, what you're doing at the moment?
0: Hmm. Wow. Um. I mean, this. I mean, all of it. All of it is fulfilling, right? Because it yeah. serves this purpose. But I think this one. Uh, I can think of a couple of specific stories. One I'll share. So, one of our students. He was 17 years old and already had been incarcerated in an adult prison in the U.S. And after he left prison, he went back to school and no one was talking to him at school because they were all scared of him because he had been incarcerated. And then he eventually ended up dropping out of school and was homeless and was going through so much just trying to find a job to support himself. And he kept describing how his family had, his family had disowned him. And that's why he was living on his own and homeless and he had nowhere to go. And throughout this whole process, mind right, we were the only people who he said had never left his side. So Mm -hmm. when you think about, um, schools or community resources or anything like that, You know, there, there may be they may be during the school time, they may be on weekends, they may be like summer programs. But literally throughout this kid's life, um, throughout his his jail his his prison sentence, throughout homelessness, throughout switching schools, switching homes, being in a shelter, he was texting Mindray almost every day. And so we were the people who were able when he was when he was homeless, we were able to connect him to shelters um he were able to connect him to job opportunities the best that we can and so i think just thinking about the power of again being those people where otherwise there is no one for so many kids yeah. is something that i take really seriously and i feel really honored and fortunate to be in a space where i can i can serve kids in that way
1: yeah absolutely i think that's that sounds like such an incredible story of how the work that you guys are doing is making an impact. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you, but for me, if if I were to hear that something that I'm doing impacts one person like that, it's enough to, you know, fuel what I want to do and what I want to keep doing um, for, for quite a long time to come. So, yeah, I think hearing those st- individual stories makes so much of a difference. Um, And as as you mentioned with um, the story that you just mentioned, when he went back to school, you know, he he wasn't really accepted by his peers in in the sense that they weren't really interacting with him because they were afraid. Um, And that brings me to something that I really wanted to touch on, which is around um, perspective and and the importance of perspective and approaching interactions with understanding. Um, How do you see that? Uh, playing a role in helping the development of young people who face these sort of situations? And also, yeah, what are the sort of things that we can do to approach our interactions with that sort of um, perspective and approach?
0: Yeah, thank you for asking this question. Yes, great no, I, question. Yes, thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so so we, at MindRite, we're a values-driven organization, and one of our biggest values that I think um, kind of hits us on the head of what you're saying is we we call it having unconditional positive regard for our students.
1: Mm. And
0: for us, in other words, I like to say that means having unconditional respect for our students. And so as as a coach, as a person, you may meet someone whose life experiences are completely different from yours, has made decisions that you would have never made or maybe even don't approve of, but at the end, the end of the day, it's about trusting that this person is doing the best that they can do with what they have, um, mm. and it's just about having that level of respect for someone. Again, whether you agree or not with the way they're living their lives, and that's what we—that's what we train our coaches on. And I think that helps them enter conversations with a level of empathy and and respect that makes these types of um, successful coaching relationships happen with students
1: yeah no absolutely and I think having that sort of respect for one another um, just anyone really in our, in our day-to-day, day-to-day lives is so important um, but also something for me I think is gratitude as well it's so important to have that gratitude for obviously what you have in your situation um, so that you can you know quite confidently work towards um, helping others uh, hopefully feel the, the same sort of gratitude in their daily lives yeah, as well. Yeah, I
0: think gratitude is super important. Um, so, I mean, at least just me personally, I like to try to start the day thinking about things I'm grateful for, mm. especially especially as an entrepreneur. There are so many up and down days that it's really important to yeah. stay grounded and be reminded of all the good things that are happening too. So yes. um, that's something that I try to do.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, gratitude um, from a lot of people that I've spoken to on this podcast as well. Um, it's it's definitely been a big part of their lives and their approach. Um, so it's really great to hear sort of some consistencies uh, across a lot of the people that I talk to. Uh, and yeah, I think, Moving on for me, uh, I want, you know, we've spoken a lot about MindRide and the work that you're doing and um, that sort of stuff. And I'd love to um, delve a bit more into your story, um, Ashley, a bit personally, as we started to there with with gratitude. Um, But taking a bit of a step back and looking at your time through university and college um, at Yale and then moving forward. What was that experience like for you and what were some of the things that you found most valuable?
0: Hmm. Well, I think going going to Yale, uh, mm-hmm. something that's pretty common, or just college in general um, yeah. in the workforce is just having imposter syndrome. And so, you know, getting to an institution like that and just feeling like you're not good enough, or maybe they made a mistake when they accepted you or all those things. And I, I went through that. Um, I went through that for a while, and I think one of the biggest lessons is just realizing that I am enough, mm. and I am supposed to be here, and I'm going to, you know, make this count, and so I I feel like I was able to take advantage of a lot of the opportunities that Yale offered, and I just feel really grateful that I was able to have, like, such an amazing environment for college. Um, I, I love my time at Yale.
1: Yeah, definitely. And how did you um come to that realization? So taking, you know, having that mindset shift from that the f- idea that you're not enough and you're not good enough to to be there to, you know, what I actually am. What was that uh mindset shift like for you?
0: Yeah, I think it was actually just being in classes with my peers and realizing I am just as smart as them. Yep, I definitely yes. am. <laughs> not
1: much, there's not much different.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So just being around people, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and also, you know, then moving on, um, you know, the idea for MindRight obviously came from your time uh at Stanford. Uh and yeah, I'd love to hear about the start. Uh, you know, we we always look at and we hear about, you know, where businesses and initiatives are at, um, when they become successful, but it's, uh, not a lot of the time that we, we get to explore the process. So, um, yeah, what, what were some of the biggest challenges, particularly at the, at the very start for you, um, from an idea phase?
0: Hmm. Um, I mean, I think from an idea phase, there's just so much that you can do, right? <laughs> there's yeah. so many ideas, there's so many di- uh, directions, there's so many pieces that all altogether form this, you know, the solution that you've created. Yeah. And so I think, I think for us, the biggest thing was just really getting over that hump that can be sometimes paralyzing when you think about your idea, like, Oh my gosh, this is so much. How do you even begin? Mm. And the answer is you just begin, <laughs> you just start, <laughs> you just do it. And so um, I think just really, for us learning how to quickly test and prototype yeah. and just get something out there quick and dirty and not investing a lot of money or, or time in it first, but just really te- testing to see if, you know, teenagers will actually like this or whatever. Mm. Um, that was really important for us.
1: Yeah. And did you or um, Alina have a, cof- uh, a tech background at all?
0: So um, neither of us are have expertise in tech. I had taken... Like in a a, a back end coding class that was like three months long, so I just had really yeah. that behind me, but not not much else.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, did you sort of bring in help for that? Because always I think interesting to hear um, from founders without really a technical background um, extensively about how they go around, um, and an issue that, that does involve, um, technology.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were really fortunate because we had some classmates who had technical expertise who just helped us get a prototype really quick. And then when we were really launching after we graduated, we just, um, we ended up paying for this, um, like online subscription text message sending service that just helped us kind of, um, just kind of meet our very basic needs when we were first starting out. But now, I mean, now yeah. we have an engineering team and we have our own platform. But back then, just kind of doing what we can with the little resources that we had. Yeah,
1: taking, taking it in those processes uh, and in those stages, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, and I want to sort of finish up our conversation with a couple of um, really practical questions uh, for people listening in. So the first one is around... Um, is around burnout and fulfillment. So particularly, what are the sort of things that we can do, first of all, to, um, I guess, deal with burnout in our daily lives, whether it be we're just overwhelmed with work from school or we've got stuff happening outside of school. What are some things that we can do to deal with that and and really take care of ourselves? Um, And then also, you you mentioned uh, a, a bit about how fulfilling your role is for you. Um, What are some things that we can go about finding um, work where we we can hopefully find fulfillment, uh, which is obviously going to be subjective for everyone. uh, But yeah, uh, I guess it would be interesting just to hear a couple of ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing that I've been doing, which I think touches on both burnout and fulfillment, if not happiness, just really taking Mm -hmm. time to pay more attention to yourself and in terms yeah. of when you're approaching burnout or your likes or dislikes. And one thing I've started doing is I've literally asking myself the question, you know, what makes me happy? And so mm-hmm. that is a very simple question, a very basic question, one where you might be able to immediately list out many things that make you happy. Um, for me, it, it's, that, was, that's a, that was a challenging question. And so um, I started this process where each day. I would pay attention to myself and notice if I was ever happy at one moment in the day. like, And then I would write down what made me happy. Was it reading a book? Was it going to the pier and being by the water? Was it a conversation with a student? Um, was it playing with a dog? And so literally keeping lists. And then at the end of the day, or um, I, um, after reviewing these lists, um, I realized that I need to make sure I'm doing at least one of these things every single day. I mean, it's that, it's that simple really. Um, mm. So I'd say just really, cause I think for a while, I'm someone who's very much guided by purpose and fulfillment and yeah. the work that I do is very much full of purpose. And I tend to put happiness at the very end um, mm. and for me, I'm in a point where I'm really trying to put happiness more forefront. And I think that it Mm -hmm. is possible to be both happy and fulfilled and that they can overlap and intertwine. And so that's, that's the medium I'm trying to reach.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think, um, I think fulfillment as well is, uh, and happiness are are very much intertwined in that they're a product of each other. Um, And I think, you know, you, you mentioned that you're very much purpose driven. And uh, yeah, fulfillment as well does come from working towards that pr- that purpose that some people are lucky enough to identify from a young age,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and so yeah, it's it's great to hear that uh, very much resonates with you as well. Alright, well thanks so much everyone for listening into this podcast. I have to apologise that there wasn't a proper conclusion there, there wasn't a proper ending between myself and Ashley and that's because the recording had some issues at the end. But yeah again, thanks for listening to this podcast. Please leave a re- review for it for on whatever podcasting apps you're listening in on. Um, it really does help expand this reach and uh, allow more young people to listen in and learn from the experiences and the stories that these incredible young entrepreneurs and activists talk about, like Ashley. Um, yeah, have a great day.